Hello and welcome back to Future Prairie Radio, where marginalized artists explore the future through the lens of the arts, humanities, and culture. I'm your host, Joni Whitworth, and this is Season 3, Episode 4, In Patterns, with Heather Flint Chaddow. Often we don't see density when it's really well designed. The design is what makes the difference in really good density. If you want more affordable housing, we need to be advocating for a diversity of financial tools. It's an equity issue too, because everyone deserves good design. Today, we're going to hear from urban designer Heather Flintchado on environmental design, civic planning, and collaborative design policy. She's been organizing her community in Portland, Oregon to address the controversial residential infill project which will change the future of the types of housing we permit in our neighborhoods. The changes proposed by this project would allow more housing units to be built in residential neighborhoods if they follow specific new limits about their size and scale. Heather holds a master's degree in urban planning and a bachelor's in environmental studies for teachers. She has extensive experience collaborating in the public and private sector with architects, landscape architects, engineers, developers, energy efficiency experts, and local and state governmental leaders. The Daily Journal of Commerce named her as one of 25 women of vision for the state of Oregon. Here's Heather. My name is Heather Flint Shadow. I'm an urban planner and environmental designer. I'm also a community educator, activist, dancer, artist, maker, travel junkie, photographer, many things. I'm also a working mother by she, her pronouns, and um, I'm deeply passionate about design and communities having a voice in shaping their neighborhoods, their places, and have been leading several different initiatives, uh, fighting for community rights against gentrification and for sustainable planning. And then that's one hat that I wear with PDX Main Streets, which I'm the co-founder and director of also known as the Portland Main Street Design Initiative. And then I'm also a small business owner of Forage Design and Planning, which is a sustainable design firm. And I do a lot of community engagement and support projects to integrate more sustainable design. You know, there are a variety of different projects and clients that I have. We just kicked off a project with the Gresham Redevelopment Corporation for a Rockwood Market Food Hall in partnership with the Black Food Sovereignty Coalition. So that's one where we're looking at food systems and um, how to support more BIPOC community members in um, healthy food networks and, uh, and local farmers. So that's, that's one type of project. Other projects are, um, I have a, a really innovative developer that's a client and we're working on a tiny house artist eco village, trying to support more affordable housing for local artists. And then I also have partnerships under different entities, like with uh, Levy Ready Columbia is a client of mine as well, helping develop long-range strategic communications and uh, culturally appropriate engagement plan for some of the work that they do. And then I work a lot under PDX Main Streets in partnership with neighborhood associations, business associations, and, uh, and other community partners. As I walk around, as I drive around, 
I look at, you know, oh, how could, you know, oh, that's a good building or, oh, wow, missed opportunity, you know, that's right next to this great old building and it doesn't speak the same language at all. And, and that building sticks out like a sore thumb, but it could have done so well if they had just picked up on some of the character cues. And so as I think about who we want to be as a city, you know, I, I, it feels like we are in a moment in time, like we have a little bit of an identity crisis. And I fell in love with Portland. Our, our email address is I love PDX Main Streets. And I have a whole series of, of articles I'm writing about my love affair with Portland Main Streets because they are so formative to our identity as a city. As we grow as a city, I really want to see bigger buildings on bigger streets. So I'd love to see us be able to, you know, have more of like a form-based code, which is a really great approach to thinking about solar access and about what is the foundational form of a place that allows for a variety of different, you know, traditional or modern designs to happen while also having human scale elements regardless of small or large buildings. So for me, as I think about making great cities that endure I really think about how do we respect the identity of a place? How do we, you know, grow with needed housing and, and urban infill without sort of losing our soul as a city? And I, I think, you know, what, what people love about Portland is that it still has that kind of vintage flavor. That's one of the things that drew me to Portland is that there were so many old buildings and the, and we are underserved for art on the East side. And these buildings represent a great deal of our art and you don't notice it when you're driving, but when you walk or you bike, you see, you know, the detail in the brickwork, you see, you know, the divided panes and the, the raised sills and, you know, the, the tiny intricate details that these buildings weren't built by architects. They were built by immigrants who were demonstrating their culture through their craft. And it's the craft that I think we're sort of missing in some of the new buildings. And so as we grow, I, you know, I think we want our city to reflect who we are as, as makers and craft people and artists. And so I, when I look around, I feel sad that I don't see that reflected. It feels like we are um, kind of losing our soul in the process. And, we, and it doesn't have to be that way. So one of the ways that we get at that is through proactive strategies of teaching people the language of good design, of how to make human scale buildings. And I can talk more about that. But, um, and, and then, you know, trying to really support the positive through art through um, giving Main Street Awards, for example, you know, honoring the people that are doing real leadership work and making that notable. So, um, you know, I think that that's another strategy, you know, to sort of make the thread back to the housing policy. If we were to create more tools that would incentivize the things we want instead of, you know, sort of de facto incentivized demolition and displacement and um, high-end housing in the areas that already have higher-end housing, <laughs> um, which then further, you know, widens the equity gap. Um, if we were to have better programs that would, you know, give tax abatements and low-interest loans and um, 
I would say, like technical assistance for adaptive reuse, but it would certainly also support more sustainability and climate responsive design for our future. But also it maintains the identity of our city in a really kind of dense way without the same kind of impacts and with a more climate responsive approach. Whether it's an art show about density and design or city making, I think that can be really powerful. Like I said, we, we do a lot with photography and um, we will be having um, a photography exhibit for Alberta, kind of looking at those patterns of place and good density and good compatibility and maybe poor contrast and you know explaining those patterns so we're looking for more photographers we are we have a series of art installations that we did up and down the division corridor that we made to be reusable for any neighborhood so we're kind of calling them listening posts but initially we called them the your voice matters project and they are custom made art suggestion boxes with kind of your these vision cards that are really great and so there's an opportunity for artists to make their own. We used um, old radios and printing presses and all kinds of, of found objects that um, made them really interactive and engaging. So we'll be doing kind of a design build workshop uh, in Alberta. And that would be a really fun way, especially because it's the arts district. One of my ideas, my inspiration on New Year's Day was there's a, a woman named Ursula Barton, and she does these beautiful paintings of uh, architecture of Portland and other cities. And I kind of had this flash about murals for main streets and that when we're creating these sort of big blank walls, which is, you know, sort of a pet peeve of mine, an unnecessary uh, creation of blight, <laughs> at least what we could do is be making that a, a beautiful art wall and, you know, really color, you know, bringing back that vibrancy that feels like Portland. One of the things that we are doing is putting together this whole toolkit to support communities. And part of it is, you know, education and public engagement, um, you know, identifying your important qualities and, and desires for the future. So being involved in those kinds of conversations and events would be great to have more of the, the arts community really get involved. But also, you know, becoming a volunteer with us is, is it's super fun and it's a great way to, to engage. So those are a few ideas. One of the things that we've been doing with uh, PDX Main Streets is we really try to support communities with greater design literacy and proactive tools for managing growth and change. So as we are growing as a city, we are seeing kind of a, a big divide in the way that, that people are looking at how we are evolving as a, as a city, how we, you know, what is the future that we want to have? And so in addition to kind of a fast paced development boom, we're also having a really long list of policy, major city policies. And so mostly I've been working on things related to the design issues and, and have kind of stayed away from this particular project. I've been tracking it as a, a land use activist and, you know, member of my neighborhood association and the land use chair, but also I know it's a contentious issue. So I kind of had, had just been watching it, but then I started to, to get a little bit concerned. So we've been advocating on things like the DOZA project, which is design standards and guidelines, the comprehensive plan, 
mixed use zoning. It's, you know, ends up being a lot of alphabet soup, <laughs> but realizing that that's really where a lot of the change can happen. And a lot of community members don't understand the nuances of policy making. So the residential infill project is a really, it's a an exciting idea about changing the way that we allow a, a greater diversity of housing types to be supported through our zoning code and by right. So right now we have a, a lot of diverse housing, I think that we may not realize because the actual zoning designation, when you look at it on a map, it's all yellow, zone for single family. But there is a, a large diversity of you know townhouses, courtyard apartments, stacked flats, plexes, things like that, and good you know multifamily buildings, but it's kind of hidden density. And so, as we look at making a new citywide policy to upzone all of our single family areas to allow for duplexes and other types that I just mentioned of more diverse multifamily housing, kind of missing middle, the things that people aren't building, they're not building single family, or they're building single family or large multifamily, but they're not building that sort of in between. So it's a, it's exciting and it's great on one hand, but it's also really challenging because policy can have unintended consequences. And so when I started to see what was going on in terms of the potential for displacement and then layering in, you know, kind of who's building, and what they're building and at what affordability rate, I started to get really concerned. So, you know, I'm in, I'm kind of of two minds about this policy. And as I started to dig in more, I started to see that there was a divide in the planning commission about displacement concerns and kind of a broad brush approach that is happening outside of the comprehensive plan effort. So that's our long range plan for 20, you know, from now to 2035. And typically this kind of major policy rezoning would happen as part of that. So I started to get a little concerned because people are really under-engaged right now. Not that many people understand the nuances of the policy. And it's really so broad brush that I am concerned it's actually going to further lead to greater demolition and climate impacts without the necessary tools to refine it and to and, I, and also in listening to some of the testimony, I hear a lot of people advocating for the, the policy for affordable housing, but this policy is actually not directed at affordable housing. Uh, four out of nine of the planning commissioners, all four commissioners of color voted against this policy from the Planning and Sustainability Commission. I don't think that many people realize that. There's a, a really important um, interview, and I'll give you a link. I have mm -hmm. some great links about some um, background on, on why we have this affordable housing crisis right now. And I think that that's, that's a really important piece of it when we actually have enough zoned capacity right now to meet all of our goals, according to the city, uh, for housing. So why this is happening outside of the comprehensive plan you know, and it's not really going to a vote of the people. And what we're seeing on the ground being built is really expensive housing. So my, you know, I would say that if you want more affordable housing, we need to be advocating for a diversity of financial tools in place right now, which is the missing from this package. So that's one piece that I think is missing is we're not seeing that, that there's actually a greater diversity of housing 
that's affordable right now. And the most affordable type of housing is what's already built. That's, that's just for a fact right there. These older houses might look like they are a certain type of exclusivity or for single family, but very frequently they're, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, sometimes students living in these big old houses. And that's what makes it affordable for them to pay a few hundred dollars of rent. I love duplexes and, and adapted structures. And um, that is probably one of the most affordable and climate responsive things we could do is to be converting, you know, these older houses to multifamily. When you build new construction, it is inherently more expensive. And if you're inherent, if you're building in the most expensive areas, it's going to be even higher. So that's, that's one piece of the puzzle to under, you know, to understand. But the reason why a developer would be more likely to tear it down than to convert it is because it's complex. And so it's not as easy for them to do it. They can't get in and out in the same way. So you can't build your standard model. So it's easier to just tear it down. And the carbon and climate impacts of that is devastating. And what we do in the next 10 years is going to be the most significant because every one of those buildings represents a significant amount of carbon of the materials extracted, refined, transported, and then built. And if you tear that down, even if you build something more energy efficient, it still takes between 10 and 80 years to offset that environmental impact. And then you're doing it with even more materials. So, you know, the, the most sustainable thing we could be doing is infilling, adapting, building up, and then looking at other kind of creative solutions. So, so this is the, you know, other, this is the planner side of me, not necessarily the, you know, sort of artist part of me, but it's really important because I think what we miss is that the fundamental difference is design when we want to make good density. And, and I think what I'd like people to know is that often we don't see density when it's really well designed. The design is what makes the difference in really good density. And that it's an equity issue too, because everyone deserves good design. We shouldn't be cheaping out on housing because what happens is if we build with poor quality, that we end up having to spend more money on maintenance. We end up providing a lesser product for people where you know the doors are hollow and the sound impacts are worse and there's less flexibility in how you use the space, less access to good light and air, you know, how energy efficient the building is impacts your monthly utility bills, that affects affordability. So there's so many pieces to the design conversation that I think it's missed and people think you're just talking about style, which we're not talking about. So that's where I kind of get into that more with the um, design literacy work that we do with PDX Main Streets and where we bring a lot of art to the, to the process of education. We, we do a lot of photography exhibits and we talk about the pattern language of Main Streets and how you do that. And, and so that's, I get a lot of joy from that. And when I see someone get excited about design, like they suddenly start to, it's like putting on a pair of glasses is the way others have explained it to me after I take them on a design walk. And it's like they can suddenly see their city in an entirely different way. And that's, that's a thrill for them, it's a thrill for us.
If you'd like to follow Heather's work, you can check out her website, 4inchdesign.org. That's F-O-R-A-G-E design.org. Future Prairie is sponsored by 89.9 All Classical Portland, a classical radio station serving the Pacific Northwest. Tune into their live programs, read their blogs covering the classical musical scene, and watch free online performances at allclassical.org. This episode was written and produced by me, Joni Whitworth, and edited by Matt Larimer. If you have any questions or feedback about the show, please feel free to reach out at any time at futureprairie.com or on social media at futureprairie.